when I left the business journal in 16 or 17, and I got pulled into the banking world, I remember being asked to go into banking. And I said, I have no interest in banking. I do not want to be a banker. If there's anything, I don't, I don't want to be that. And the gentleman that was bringing me on, he said, I don't need you to be a banker. We have bankers, but bankers don't do what you do. Could we talk to you about what you did at the business journal? Just doing that for banking. And I was like, I'm all ears. And so it began to unlock my value because sometimes when you're in a system as long as I was, your value is tied to the system or the environment. Outside the environment, there are people that look at you differently. So when I left, I had all these wonderful people say amazing things about me. Like, man, if you're leaving, we'd love to bring you aboard. We will create a role for you. And the bank did. The bank created a role for me. In a corporate world, where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work. The employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Andre Davis. Andre is the Corporate and Community Engagement Executive for Built Interior Construction, a prefabricated interior construction company that builds commercial environments. He is an accomplished thought leader, influencer, social activist, mentor coach, speaker, philanthropist, and has been a guest on numerous podcasts and webinars to discuss an array of topics. He has more than 20 years' experience working with CEOs, executives, and entrepreneurs while continuing to give back to the community. He is a board member for Prep KC, which creates and implements strategies to improve college and career preparation for Kansas City's urban high school students. He's an ambassador board member for Big Brothers Big Sisters Kansas City, where he and other board members personally fund and award scholarships to local kids in the BBBS program. He is a board member for the Civic Council of Greater Kansas City, Kansas City Tomorrow Alumni Association, which serves to support members who are interested in enhancing their nonprofit and civic leadership skills and talents, as well as a board member for C3KC Conference, the Junior League's annual collaborative conference, which serves to spark change for a better Kansas City. He co-founded and personally funds the Nextus Scholarship at his alma mater college geared toward African-American students. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Andre. Andre, welcome to the podcast. It is an, it is an awesome, awesome uh, privilege to be with you, Jeff. Thank you for having me in. Uh, I have to say, you came into my life, uh, uh, I think you're the third podcast guest that uh, I've had on so far that uh, I'm so grateful that Randy Powell had his Lessons in Leadership podcast, because that's basically how you and I met virtually during the pandemic. Unfortunately, I did not attend your uh, 
your uh, episode with Randy live. Uh, it took me a while to get Randy to invite me to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pretty particular about who he wants on his podcast, but he is the epitome, he's the epitome of servant leadership. I guess I had to be vetted by multiple sources, I guess. That's right. I, I think I did too. I think I just snuck in. He didn't, he didn't really have to vet me. I snuck in and said, trust me, let me just talk to your people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I like to start uh, with a question to kind of loosen things up a little bit. So we've all gone through almost now three years of the pandemic. So with, this is being recorded uh, February 28th, 2023. Um, we've learned how to deal with Zoom. We're doing this Zoom uh, podcast right now. Um, what is the craziest attire you ever see uh, seen anyone wear on a Zoom call? That's a really great question. Um, I think the people that have worn crazy attire don't put their camera on. But I do know, here's, an, here's what I can tell you. And I won't name who it is. There is a gentleman that is a CEO of a firm. And CEO of an, he was a CEO of a nonprofit. He's not here now. He's still with us, but he's out of, in a different market. He told the story about going into a meeting. And, and, let, and let me just say this. He, he's not the kind of guy where you want to see shirtless. he That's just not his body type. And he showed up on a, he thought his camera was off. And so he had no shirt on. And he's he's getting these chat things and the chat comes on and they say, hey, where's your shirt? He goes like, oh, well, I didn't know I was on camera. Oh. So he had, to, he had to scoot out and put his shirt on. But if you met him, it is so totally him. And so I I really haven't met anyone with, I didn't, I didn't have to experience anyone with, any kind of abnormal attire. In fact, I, I saw a, a huge benefit by doing virtual calls during the pandemic. And um, if we want to go into detail, I can go into detail or we can save it for later. But I didn't see really crazy people wearing crazy things. Much like me, when I was doing meetings, I made sure because I knew someone would call me out. So if I was wearing a suit and a button down shirt, I completed the process. I didn't stop at shorts. I didn't do any of that. Uh, because I didn't want people to go, well, what are you, what's on the bottom? And then I'd have to stand up and go, well, you got me. And I just stayed, I'd stayed that way. But I did wear like a bunch of zip downs and pajama bottoms and things like that because it was just comfortable. And that, that be kind of came, it, it, that, could, that could be a double-edged sword, right? You start getting too loose and saying, hey, I think I'll just go to a coffee shop with, with pajama bottoms on and, and, and a butt down shirt and, and a V-neck sweater or whatever. And that's not probably what you want to do. So were, did you have 100% certainty that CEO that was shirtless, did, was could he have been bottomless too? Do you, any insight on that? You know, I, I, I don't know. And I think what, digit, what the virtual world did to many of us, the nuances we had in being on a call and going to the bathroom and maybe not muting, turning off cameras off. And I saw all this sometimes on Randy's podcast where you had people in the background that were fidgeting around and I would send them chat and go, hey, if you're going to fidget, just turn off your camera. Or if you're going to leave, exit, turn off the camera, then exit. Don't just walk in, you know. So there were some things we had to just get used to people doing and not be bothered by. And I think that is not a necessarily a bad thing. I think it humanizes the experience for people because we see people out in corporate settings or coffee shops and everybody's all buttoned up and they have to say the right thing. And I think what the virtual world did, especially if you're in the relationship building game, it allowed you a sneak peek like my house, right? You see stuff behind me. You get to, if you look at the things behind me, you get the chance to know more about me than probably you knew, right? And so that's what I experienced. So I don't, I thought that 
it allowed us to have better talking points for people. Like I discovered one of our board members was an artist because he had artwork in his background. I asked about the art and he's a lawyer and I never thought that he was an artist, never knew he was an artist. So it allowed us to really, I think, get to know people in a different way that we wouldn't have ordinarily had the opportunity to learn from because we're always meeting in a corporate setting or lunch or a coffee shop. Yeah, 100 percent agree. The second question, I, it's uh, not your origin story, but I always like, you know, your your childhood, you know, kind of formulates how you grow up, obviously, mm-hmm. as well as your adult years. Uh, what did you want to be uh, as a kid when you grew up? Now, you're taking me back because I'm older than you think I am. So I have to go make sure. You're not my, as old as me. So, so I want to make sure my memory can function that way. Um the first thing that that triggered, that question triggered for me was a truck driver. Because we're, you and I have talked about this. My, my mother, her entire family is from upstate New York. My father, when we were very young, would drive that 22-hour stretch from Kansas City because he couldn't afford air, airplane tickets to three boys, right? I'm the youngest of three. So we would drive 22 hours to New York or New Jersey or Westwood, Teaneck, et cetera. And I, and I just saw these over-the-road truckers with these lights on these big, shiny metal trucks. And I was like, man, I want to do that. And that was the start of me thinking about any career. I don't come from white-collar workers. That's not our family. Our family is, much, our family is mostly blue-collar workers. I'm probably the only, uh, what I would deem, corporate person in my family. Um, and so truck driver would be my thing. That would be my answer to you. You went to college, uh, Doan. Uh, yeah. college in uh, Nebraska, played football. So uh, sports were a big part of your life growing up? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because initially I started off trying to wanted to be a baseball player. That was kind of my thing, right? I thought I could pitch pretty well. But then, you know, when your mother's working, uh, manufacturer worked at General Motors for 30 years and retired. And when you're working there, she's raising three hardhead boys um, and, you know, she had chores she wanted to be done. And I remember in fifth grade, I didn't take out the trash on repeated ask of taking out the trash. And she pulled me out of baseball. And I was so frustrated uh, with her about doing that. But I understood what she was trying to do. So baseball was initially it. Then football became the thing because my older brother was always working out. And I was like, man, I like to work out. And so I started working out. And what I found from working out and and and, and getting in shape was it, it got a lot of it got you a lot of attention, right? So you'd have to be the best looking guy, but if you're in shape. People are like, hey, you know, you know, whatever, right? And so we did that, and then football became the thing. And it wasn't that I chose Dome. It was just college wasn't even an option for me. I wasn't even going to college, to be honest. I didn't like school. I liked the social aspect of school. And anybody that knows me will make that correlation pretty quick, that he's certainly social. The academic side is what I didn't really enjoy. And, it's, and it wasn't that I didn't want to learn or I had, you know, learning challenges. You, you I'm, I'm a kind of the student that, you have to make topics and subjects really, really interesting to me. I'm that person. You have to really be a teacher that can make me interested in a topic that most are not interested in, but they would. some others will do well in it because they know they, it's a means to an end. If I'm not interested, I clock out. And so when we were graduating high school, I knew I had horrible study habits, but I did a visit, did several visits to like Baker and William Jewell and, and Wichita State and some of those schools in Washburn and you know, those schools could have been fun for me to go and, and play ball at, but Nebraska was, I'd never been. It was far enough, far enough away. And this, and the coach that was here uh, was coaching at Missouri Western. And he got the head coaching job at Doan University, which was at the time was Doan College. 
in Crete, Nebraska. And he recruited me and two other buddies. And so we went on a visit and we liked it. And we all kind of agreed that we would go together. And so that was my, how I got to Nebraska. Oddly enough, the two buddies I went up there to play football with, they stayed there and had families. And I was the only one that came back and tried to figure out what I was going to do in Kansas City and what my career could look like. And I remember feeling really lost that, okay, so college is over. Now what? What do you do now? There's no job right now. You have to go find the job. And I didn't really know the process. So at the time, universities and college weren't really preparing students the way they are now. There was no there was no uh, Blue Valley Caps. There was no Prep KC. There was none of that coming into a school system saying, hey, you could be this. And quite frankly, I should have been in the military or skill trade. Flat out. Now, my wife laughs when I say military because she goes, you can't follow you can't follow orders. And I go, no, I could. If I was in the military, I would. But I do beat to my own drum. Right. And so I like the autonomy and thinking and all that and, you know, collaborating, obviously. But um, football was my thing. Yeah, and, and it's and I'm still active in terms of, you know, I love working out. I love staying in shape. That's a part of me being uh you know, um, always ready for my job and, and, and playing with kids and being, I'm a big kid, man. So I like to goof around and have fun. And so the youth, the, the fountain of youth for me is, uh, being fit and healthy. Yeah. I want to, uh, talk about your health and fitness regime a little later in the show, but, um, I do want to ask if your wife had a rate, you're, uh, taking out the garbage, competency and skill today what would that rating one being low 10 being the highest it'd be a 15 <laughs> i am that guy you're that, I am guy. that guy i a couple things I, I i i have pet peeves about um i love a clean kitchen and i love clean bathrooms and i want trash empty there's just something about those areas to me that should always be clean and picked up and so Trash is never an option. She would tell you she hardly ever takes out the trash. I Sometimes I'll ask her, do you know where the trash can's at? Because the trash is pretty full right now. And we'll laugh about it. And I know I'm going to take it out, right? And so it'd be a 15 because I'm the one that's kind of managing that piece of it, right? I just don't like trash to overflow. And my wife is the kind of person that she'll stuff and she'll stuff and she'll stuff into a trash basket. I'm like, but when it's overflowing, though, why not just take that down and out? And she doesn't, that's not her thing. She just wants to keep putting stuff in it. And it's really me, but the way I'm work, I'm kind of compulsive, obsessive sometimes. And so I, I have to get that stuff emptied um, or it bothers me. I like it. Uh, just uh, one uh, football uh, question. Um, don't tell me the position, but did you play offense or defense? Defense. Linebacker. Mm-hmm. Well, I was actually in high school, I was middle linebacker and fullback. And then I went to college as sort of a walkaway corner, uh, sort of a strong corner is what I was, and, and a walkaway in is what I what I played. I love the defensive side of the ball because I, I I like the aggressiveness of tacking things first before versus being attacked. I like that. So that's you were the, you were the Ronnie Lott of Doan College. I, I, well, I, I I wish I could say I was Ronnie Lott. I probably wouldn't have been at Doan if I was Ronnie Lott. I'd probably be at D one somewhere. But yes, I love Lonnie Ronnie Lott. Lonnie Rot Ron, Ronnie Lott rather was awesome. And those that don't know him, you should Google him before there were all the parameters in terms of how you can hit the day. There were no parameters when he was playing. You hit wherever you could hit to get people down. And he just came with it and came aggressively and violently at people. And uh, big fan of Ronnie Lott. Um, so, he, so you graduated with a BA in sports marketing. Uh, yeah. 
why sports marketing? It seems like an obvious question. Oh, okay, okay. So let me let me dig in that a little bit. So people won't remember this, but Reebok and Nike were the shoes. I mean, that it, it, back in the 90s, it was Reebok with the pump shoes and all that and Nike. And I thought it would be great. How do I continue to be around sports? And so I chose sports marketing as a way to represent firms. I really wanted to represent firms in terms of being like a Nike rep or a Reebok rep. And when I came out, what I was told to be and told to do was, well, you need to get in retail. You need to learn a business of retail and all that and the shoes and how they work with other you know, manufacturers, et cetera. And so I ended up taking a job. Once I got back to Kansas City, I ended up taking a job uh, working for, at the time, which does not exist today, a shop called The Athlete's Foot. And Dan Fernman ran that organization. He used to run a, I think, Schulte Lumber. I think he was the, the owner of Schulte Lumber. And, I, and there was a place on the plaza right where the Brio is, right down below the Brio was where the athlete's foot was. And so I was um, I was in management there and ran. And that all that meant was when, you're, when your people don't show up to work, well, then you kick your ship, no matter how long you've been there, right? And I would talk to some of the reps coming in. I was like, well, how did you get your, how did you get to work for Nike? And they would talk about being like this really, really dedicated athlete and a really magnificent athlete, right? And I was like, well, I wasn't that. I mean, I, I got a chance to play football in, high, in college, but nobody was picking me up to put on their Olympic team or NFL team, and I knew that. And so I said, that wasn't going to happen for me. So it started to really, you know, a lot let me know that that this wasn't going to be the route to being a rep or anything like that. They really wanted an athlete with the name to go out and represent their product line. And, and I was not that. And so I really had to think about, okay, what does my life now look like? What, how do I pivot away from this? And with, with little, I thought credentials or skill set or training, because there just wasn't any of that back in the nineties, right? We weren't really doing, doing that. At least it wasn't available to me. I didn't think I didn't, at least I wasn't, I didn't have access to it. And so I had to really figure out, um, you know, what what I was going to do with Andre, and that became the journey. So uh, yeah, so you go into kind of the retail shoe space because uh, you wanted to be associated still with sports. I totally get that. So then, you know, what ha what's kind of that journey until you hit the Kansas City Business Journal in '99? Yeah. So in prior, so when I when I was trying to get out, and that's a great question, Jeff. When I was trying to get, and I love that you're asking this because I think oftentimes when you see people on a stage, on a podcast, we we sometimes feel like there's no start to people. Like we just woke up and said, hey, we're going to be on a podcast and have all this thought leadership. We don't understand there was a, there was something that happened prior. And I love that we're going back because that's the most important piece, right? Life is a series of what I call recalibration. You're going down one channel, you're gaining experience there, you're rerouting to another channel, you're gaining that. So you're taking all this experience with you every time you recalibrate. So what I when I was at the athlete's foot working, there was a guy that I connected with that was doing some trials. There were two leagues. There was the um, World Football League. There was a new league called the, the Professional Spring Football League. And I was one of these guys that said, you know, I could walk around Earth saying, well, you know, I could have made it to the NFL and all that. But I just, you know, I just whatever. I just wanted to try it. So I, I went to these tryouts. And went to two trials. One was the uh, Orlando Thunder, which was a World League. Did that tryout. Then went to the Professional Spring League. And guess who I saw there? Paul Palmer. He used to play for the Chiefs. He was going to migrate because what the Professional Spring Football League was going to do, 
they were going to take over the world league. And so I saw Paul Palmer, I'm talking to him and I'm seeing these athletes from Canada and these guys are athletes and me, I'm just like, I'm gonna try it that way. If I can't make it, I'll at least say I tried it. So when that didn't work out and I got into working with, um, investments. I had my series six, my series 63, and I was a registered rep and I was helping people with insurance and I was helping these, these are all families. And I was doing stuff along the lines of mutual funds and all that. And I did that for, I think maybe eight to 10 years. And I just was fatigued from doing that. And I really couldn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was being, I was successful there. And I made a pivot. And in 1999, uh, March of 1999, and people won't understand this. I answered an ad in the paper, which I know it sounds archaic, but I'm old. So it shouldn't sound archaic. It is what it is. Was it in the business journal ad or the Kansas City it was Star? Not, it was not the business journal ad. I think it was a Kansas City Star ad. And the business journal was going to launch a new publication. And I just thought it sounded fun. And I was like, well, I've never been there. And I knew somebody that worked there. And I was asking her about the role. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just see what happens. And so here's what's so funny about my start. I didn't have any money. I didn't have suits because none of my, my job required me to be in polos. I said athlete's foot and shorts. I had a suit. I think I borrowed the suit. And because of my size, the jacket wouldn't fit. So I walk in to the interview with Joyce Hayhow, who was the publisher of the Business Journal. And I had my jacket over my shoulder. And I said, it's just so hot. I just had to take this thing off. I hope that's okay. And she said, no, that's fine. Just sit down. So I sat to talk to her for a little bit and did a series of talking to some other people. And, and I started at this, this publication they were launching and we, 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 we had success early on. The marketplace got populated with this publication. So we decided as a group that we would shut it down. And I ended up working not just with that affiliate sister publication, but now working with the business journal and really what I will give them credit for was someone like me not coming from white collar, being able to get exposed to white collar leadership, CEOs, CFOs, CIOs, CTOs, all these C-suite people that I'm never around and how to navigate those circles. Before there was LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and all the other social channels, you guys have it so easy today because all you have to do is look on those channels and figure out everything about people. What I had to do and what Jeff and I had to do, we had to go and, and look at Dun & Bradstreet. We had to go look at the business journal and find out, well, who are the people that run a company? What do they look like? What's their phone number? What's their fax number? Can I fax them my information? That was my start. I was faxing people. Hey, let's get together. And, and there was no, barely was there an email. I mean, email just came along in 99. And so that that was really the start and a lot of failure in between of trying to figure out what is my style and does my style work in this industry? We had to physically go to the library to reach research stuff. <laughs> right. That's right. So and people don't understand how easy it is today. Exactly. So curious, uh, obviously, long career at Kansas City Business Journal. So I, I was fortunate enough, uh, I'll say, to become, I don't know, friends, but at my time at Aratana Therapeutics, um, we were publicly traded, animal health, uh, early stage uh, startup drug manufacturer, very prominent. Um, uh, Eritana was very prominent in the Kansas City Business Journal. Yes, they were. Uh, but I was lucky enough to become, I'll say, friends with Irv Hockaday. I was just wondering if you ever had a chance to meet Irv, because he's just a Kansas City him. business legend, you know, Hallmark. He was, he was with Coffin Foundation for a long time. And I do remember her, you know, again, you have to understand 
what people know of me today, um, I didn't have that name or that platform or that influence then, right? I was building that. And so no one knew me then, right? I was in business. They knew me outside of business more socially than they knew me as business. And so Irv wouldn't have been interacting with me, right? And I only knew of Irv because Joyce Hayhow was super connected, obviously for the business journal being a publisher, she was super connected to the Kauffman Foundation. And I think her and Irv sat on a board together and that's why I heard Irv's name, but I didn't know. Yeah, no, I was just curious. He, I just think he was uh, just an incredible leader. I've never seen someone so humble that had that, you know, type of a career he was just he he would take me out to breakfast a couple two three times a year and i would yeah. just pick his brain and he was just uh, phenomenal um so your kansas city business journal 17 years what were some highlights there for you people have to understand there's always a start to something right and so let's just take what just took place monday which is mentoring monday i was there for the inception of that when i was at the business journal the women who mean business event that happened because Jim Heater, who was the chain, who was who was a lawyer, and he was the CEO of the Greater Kansas City Chamber, came to Joyce and said, "I can't find any executive level women." And her answer was, "What do you mean you can't find executive level executive level women? Of course there are people out there." And the way her brain worked, she said, "Well, we're going to start to identify those people." And and, and the women in the business event was born on that conversation, and so we started to honor. 25 women uh, in leadership uh, through that program. And so those were some things. The digital evolution, when we, as a, as a publication, you have to understand the business journal was the first business journal ever. And it was, a, it was a startup. And the idea was, how do we have a conversation that's typically happening in the back boardroom privately and put it out in front? And, and people thought it wouldn't work. And Doc Hurley, and or Doc Worley rather, and I'm blanking on the other name, um, just because that's my mind. It's been a long time. 1984, I think, is when it was launched. Well, local Kansas City spun out into 61 markets. There was a business journal in every market right now. And so business journal was a startup. And so the moments like that, the women in business event, mentoring Monday, um, next gen leaders is another thing that I was there for to help launch out. Um, I think digitally, when we're trying to figure out how do we leverage the content on the website for ad revenue, I was there for that. We didn't know, we didn't know how to do that. That wasn't what our thing. Our thing was print. Print was our thing. That's what the publication was. You, you were in the, people that were CEOs that ran organizations read our paper, and that was our value proposition: is that we are going directly to the decision makers, right? And then this digital evolution started happening and we were trying to figure out how do we monetize the content on websites? And that wasn't a thing then. It's, 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 it's natural now because that's just what you do. Back then it wasn't a thing. We didn't know how to do that. And so our clients didn't know how to do it. And so our clients were trying to navigate that. And so those, those were the moments But I'll tell you where I think for me and the, and how it relates to the work I do today, what I learned being a nobody then, and I mean that respectfully to me, no one knew Andre's name really back there, right? But it allowed me to operate in a way that is so authentic that what I found from doing that um, is I, I, God has given me an ability to really build relationships with people really, really fast. And so when I was doing all that work, and, and when I would walk into a room, people like Pat McCown would say, hey, there's Andre. He works with the Business Journal. 
Peter the Silva, who ran UMB for a number of years, with hey, hey, that's Andre. He ran, he worked for the Business Journal, or he works for the Business Journal. It wasn't that's my ad rep guy. I didn't hear that, and that was based on my behavior, right? Because I didn't behave like an ad rep guy in the earlier years. I did because I didn't know what I was doing, right? And that's what I'll give Joyce credit for is she allowed me to be bad enough in my craft to get really good at my craft, right? And 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 again, I don't know what it was about me and her that she she liked but i felt like um she allowed me to find my path there and i had and i ended up having a lot of success there and 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 you know then it then it became an interest in really wanting to represent the business community in a way that was speaking from a diverse perspective right because the business journal was not diverse journalism is not diverse and oftentimes I would go to events just to let people know there were people of color that worked at the business journal. Cause I think for, you didn't really, you didn't see those people, right. You know? And so I wanted people to know that there was representation just because I wanted people to know that there, there was a different perspective. And um, I just learned how to navigate the business community and learn about my business acumen uh, grew. And I learned a lot about how business is done. Uh, why people go to coffee. Why did they go to lunch? Uh, the deals that are made at lunch and coffee and sometimes drinks, how that happens. I never understood why people wanted to have relationships with clients. I super understand that now, right? Because when you're building relationship, it doesn't stop at work. It carries on. That's the relationship, right? And so all that, when you see me navigate, navigate today, all that started, quite frankly, with the business journal. That's why I'm a big proponent of the business journal, because I know what that information can do if you are... Are, are are getting that information and, and then using it to react to something. And then just being able to be, vis now I'm visible and people know who I, that, and that happened over time. It didn't happen from, you know, in, in six months, I didn't go from being known and people wanted me on their podcast and all that. It, it took time. And that's the challenge that I think young people have, younger people is they want it all now. And, you, and it doesn't work that way. Even with the advent of your social channels, you may have connections there, but I always challenge people that are younger that haven't done this for a while. I mean, I've been doing this 25 plus years, but I haven't done this for a while. Pick up the phone and call a CEO and say, I need to have coffee with you tomorrow and see who shows up. You would be really surprised about who shows up. Me and others, we could make that call and people would be there. That's when you know you have the relationship on your platform that you're connected to. You have connections. Doesn't mean you have a relationship, you have a connection. So take your time. It's about building one relationship at a time and allowing that to branch out. Yeah, hundred percent. I watched your um, episode on Randy Powell's lessons in leadership, and it it is literally a clinic on relationship building. I'm teaching a class right now, University of Kansas, on uh, Salesforce leadership slash management, and I'm literally going to play your highlight clip, oh, which is five kind. minutes and twenty nine seconds. It, it's just phenomenal. But we're, I mean, obviously your mentor at Kansas City Business Journal was uh, very impactful on, on, you know, your philosophy. But where where'd you learn all that? That It's just incredible. Yeah. And you're kind to say all those things, Jeff. And I would tell you if there's any way that I can be helpful to you in any way. And as you're teaching classes, I think this is a thing that people are missing when it comes to relationship you know I'm, I'm reading reading a lot and listening to a lot of things about the human experience coming back into the workplace that is the 21st century leadership that's happening right now is we're bringing the human component back into the workplace 
and we're really trying to figure out how people show up at work. And so I've always been wired this way. And then what happens when you're wired a certain way, you get thrown into a system that says you have to operate differently. So in the business journal, I will tell you, just go back to the business journal. When I was there, we were told to go out and tell the history of the business journal and talk about all the things and our distribution and who we, all that, right? So we're doing all the benefit drops. We're doing all that. Fast forward today, no one cares. No one cares about that stuff until they have to care about it, right? And so we were doing that. And then all of a sudden we thought there was another market that was had a trainer come in and was doing some different things. And she had kind of a Sandler style. And, but she was a little bit different, a little bit softer. Sandler sometimes can be real direct. And this is more of a softer approach. And so when I was hearing all this, I was like, that's really my style anyway. My style really is conversational. It's not about, here, let me show you this product. Here's the benefits. And what do you think? It was never that, but that's what I was taught. I went to Tom Hopkins and many people don't know who Tom is, but if you ever watch Tom Hopkins, he's hilarious. But he was one of the number one real estate agents in the country because of his selling style. And he was outstanding. So I was around people like that. And, and, and that was never my thing. I always wanted to interact and really get to know people. So when we had this trainer come in and she was talking about all these things about, you know, maybe you're not a good fit. Let's talk more about it. It was real soft, laid back. It wasn't about the history of your company and your products. And I was just like, man, that is that is really more me than anything else. I don't like scripts. I don't like if they say this, you say that. I, that was never kind of what I wanted to do. So me working in my natural aura, if you will, I just felt like this was something that I could take a little bit of what she was saying, add my twist to it. And then when you get a taste of it and how it impacts people and how people lean in because you're just having a dialogue with no agenda, you won't operate any other way. So I don't operate any other way. There's This is the only way up. It's non-negotiable. This is how I operate. And what I've seen from that is you get faster engagement, you get deeper engagement, and it drives your revenue cycle faster, flat out indisputable. It is absolutely a faster path to revenue. And so when I left the business journal in I think 16 or 17, and I got pulled into the banking world, um, I remember being asked to, be, to go into banking. And I said, I have no interest in banking. I do not want to be a banker. If there's anything, I don't, I don't want to be that. And the gentleman that was bringing me on, he said, I don't need you to be a banker. We have bankers, but bankers don't do what you do. Could we talk to you about what you did at the business journal? Just doing that for banking. And I was like, I'm all ears, right? And so it began to unlock kind of my value because sometimes when you're in, in you're in a system as long as I was, almost almost 18 years, I think almost 17 years rather. When you're in that system, sometimes your value is tied to the system or the environment. Outside the environment, there are people that look at you differently. So when I left, I had all these wonderful people say amazing things about me like man if you're if you're leaving you know we'll we'd love to bring you aboard we, we even start we will start a, a role for you we'll create a role for you and the bank did the bank created a role for me and so i just said okay if that's okay now i've gotten a sense and so i've started once that kept happening right people kept asking me to come in and, and meet with them and all that i was like okay and so for the last five or six years um, my career has never slowed up and my, I would think, uh, and this is, these are my words, by the way, the thirst for interacting with me has grown. And it's because I'm, I am that person that's willing to help someone without any agenda. I have no agenda 
and I'm willing to help and bring, and I love bringing people together. Kevin McGinnis would call it intentional collisions. I learned through Alana Mueller that he stole the term from Silicon Valley. It's not his term. I used to give him credit. I'm not giving him credit anymore. <laughs> but I love, but I love creating intentional collisions. People that ordinarily wouldn't interact. You're the conduit. You introduce. You step out. And if people understood the magic of that, they would do that more often versus always go after things that only benefit them. And I just, luckily, I don't spend time with people that do that. Or if I see people that do that, I really disassociate myself with them because I'm only around people that really want to add value to others first. That concludes part one of Jeff's conversation with Andre. Be sure to listen to part two, where Andre continues his discussion about life after leaving the Business Journal.